0: Good morning, Liberty.
1: Well, what is up, all of our Liberty-loving friends? This is another fantastic episode of Good Morning Liberty. My name is Nate Thurston, bringing you a very special episode this morning with former Maine state senator, the state director of the Ron Paul 2012 presidential campaign, the state chair of the Rand Paul 2016 campaign. He is a host of the Free America Now podcast and the senior spokesperson for Young Americans for Liberty, Eric Brakey. I know you guys are going to enjoy this one. I know I did. We talked about everything from censorship all the way to a strategy for actually making liberty win. So without wasting any more of your time, here's the interview with Senator Eric Brakey.
0: I'm Eric Brakey. I am uh, the senior spokesperson for Young Americans for Liberty and host of the Free America Now podcast. Uh, I like to brand myself the renegade statesman. I'm a former state senator uh, known in my state of Maine for leading the charge, passing constitutional carry, reforming welfare, getting right to try passed, and expanding medical cannabis laws. So I'm all about liberty. I've been about liberty since I You know, heard Ron Paul's message during the Tea Party era, became a staffer on his campaign in 2012, and I've just been going at it ever since. It's hard to believe that an entire decade has passed, but I'm glad to have uh, been able to spend it fighting for something I believe in.
1: So were you very political prior to hearing Ron Paul? Were you on either side of the aisle before that?
0: You know, I was, but truth be told, I'm kind of embarrassed of those days. I was on the Republican side of the aisle, but I grew up, uh, you know, in a Fox News watching family with Bill O'Reilly on the TV telling me that, you know, if you really uh, believe in America, then that means going over and bombing countries halfway across the world who never did anything against us. And so I'm kind of ashamed to look back at at least my younger years when I was in high school and so convinced in my own like self-righteousness on my political views but all i was really doing was repeating things i heard on on the tv and from my parents without really understanding it once i once i came to really under, understand these principles i came to really understand just how toxic our politics is these days and how the power structure on the federal level manipulates good people to do uh, and to support some very evil things.
1: Man, I was the exact same way. I had a I had a bumper sticker on my car, actually right in the center of the back window just said W on it, just a W bumper sticker. <laughs> I man, when we I, I'm embarrassed to say the same thing, but to me it's it's good to recognize that because people can change. We're both evidence of that because Absolutely. when I saw that we were invading Iraq and you remember the visions of the bombs dropping and all that I I felt good about it. I'm just saying, I felt, and how does that happen? How How do you convince people so easily that this is a good thing that we're killing people over there?
0: You know, I think if I, as I remember back in the war propaganda that led up to the war in Iraq, there was a genuine sense that, and, and feeling that, you know, we were liberating people, we were spreading democracy. In fact, it was, it was not just you know getting getting good old classic revenge or justice for nine eleven. Of course, Iraq had nothing to do with nine eleven, but somehow it was in our mind at the time. This was you know you know Rumsfeld had suggested that you know uh, Saddam Hussein and Osama bin Laden were sequ- had a secret bromance with each other and are planning to you know smuggle nukes into America or something. I kind of crazy when you look back on it, but but we were also sold this lie that. You know, we were spreading democracy, that people were living under this tyrant. And of course, he was a tyrant. There are many tyrants in the world, including many tyrants who that we ally with in countries like Saudi Arabia. But we were told we were liberating the people from this tyrant. We're spreading democracy and we're going to improve the lives and, and give freedom to these people. And that sounded great until we were confronted with the reality that the people in Iraq are not better off uh, with, with the civil war that came as a result of it. All we did strategically was we handed Iraq over to our, our, our we, we handed it over to Iran. <laughs> we strengthened their position in the Middle East. And uh, it is not, there, no humanitarian purpose has been served and no American interest has been served.
1: What was it about what Ron Paul was saying that was able to change your, your viewpoint so wildly?
0: You know, I was one of those guys that for the longest time, you know, I remember reading Ron Paul's The Revolution. My brother gave it to me and I read through it and I thought, you know, I I, uh, I agree with everything this guy's saying, except for on foreign policy. That was uh, I think that was for most a lot of conservatives back then. I heard it all the time throughout the primaries. And you know, I agree with Ron Paul on pretty much everything, the economy, even the even on the drug issues. But geez, we can't be. I. Isolationist. We can't. Uh, we can't just kind of be in our own country and not engage with the world. This was kind of the thinking of somehow if we're not bombing people, invading other countries, that we are being isolationist in in, in some manner. As if uh, Canada is isolationist when it doesn't like bomb its neighbors. You know. But what? What really? What really? What really convinced me was when I was able to contextualize and put myself in the shoes of these other. Countries when when uh, you know there was always this famous speech that Ron gave of imagine if China was doing to us what uh, we were doing in Iraq imagine if the Chinese military had come over to Texas and uh, put their military on the ground and to fight anti Chinese terrorist organization that nobody really knew much about or had anything to do with in texas but there's you know it's about 16 people who are part of some anti-chinese terrorist actions uh, over uh, halfway across the world and so all of texas was invaded by the chinese army that they were there they were setting up uh, military bases on our soil that that their soldiers operated outside of our constitutional laws that their soldiers occasionally you know uh killed uh texas citizens or uh we are you know where civilians were regularly drone striked and, and killed like how would we as americans how would we respond to that we wouldn't take it we would probably respond in a fashion very similar to how many of the regular civilians and people in iraq have responded to uh to our presence there uh you know so so many so many whether it was iraq afghanistan syria so many people who were fighting in these conflicts are not people who were in any way involved in 9-11. They're just people who see a foreign empire in their lands and want them out. So why would we put our soldiers in that situation? Uh, So Ron really kind of speaking to how would we respond if we were in their shoes really helped open my eyes to exactly uh, the imperial nature of what we were doing over there.
1: I worry sometimes that a lot of the Ron Paul movement was uh, a lot of people that were upset about the bank bailouts and the corporate bailouts, stuff like that. Did you notice seeing a lot of Ron Paul people move over to becoming Bernie Bros in the last election? Do you think I, I just like to question my uh, my vision on this that this was this massive revolution? Do you do you think that it was as many liberty loving people? as we like to think it is, or was it a lot of people who actually were upset about corporations and bailouts? Do you think they knew what they were <laughs> upset about really, the principles?
0: Well, I think you know, with any kind of political coalition, you get a lot of people there for, for, for different reasons. I think there was always a very strong core of the Ron Paul movement that was composed of people who, who came to the message and came to really understand the true liberty message and are still fighting for it today. Um, but then there were also a lot of people who were there for various reasons. Maybe they like one part of the message. Maybe they liked, you know, sticking the fiddle middle finger to the Republican establishment. And that's what they were there for. You know, Ron was just the, you know, the most anti-establishment guy in that race. Or maybe there were there with people who, who were there because they cared more about, you know, opposing the drug war or the, or, or, um, The corruption of the bank bailouts, as you mentioned, and some of those became Bernie Sanders folks. Yeah, I mean, I was surprised. You know, between 2012 and 2016, how many people who I fought with in the trenches on the Ron Paul campaign became early adopters for Bernie Sanders or early adopters for Donald Trump? It surprised me, but it shouldn't surprise us. You know, political coalitions are made of of people who believe a lot of different who who are there for a lot of different reasons. When you're just trying to get the electoral majorities, you, you you don't really stop and ask questions like interrogate someone. So why are you supporting Ron Paul? Is it because you truly believe his 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 full throated platform of liberty? For a lot of people, that is true. But at the end of the day, it's like, oh, hey, you're supporting Ron Paul because homeschooling is your big issue. And Ron Paul's the best guy on homeschooling. Maybe you don't agree with him on foreign policy. That's fine, we want your vote. Let's make him the nominee and we take people uh, as we can get him. So, and, and hope that while they're there, they open their minds up to some of the other, uh, the, the full message of liberty. And a lot of people have done that. And one of the
1: reasons we're talking about so much about Ron Paul right now is because he was a big influence for you. And you seem to be more of a libertarian oriented guy. I don't know what you uh, what you would call yourself as far as that goes. But you did run as a Republican and were successful and, you know, there's this organization called Young Americans for Liberty that we've been supporting for quite some time now. There's a little bit of a difference in the way that libertarians, a lot of people who listen to this think that we should go about things like running as a libertarian and trying to change the libertarian party. By the way, you did a great debate with uh, Dave Smith on the Lines of Liberty podcast. That was really great. Um there's a debate between whether or not we should just go for the Libertarian Party, or should we try to change the
0: Republican Party? Well, I think that my advice to anyone who believes in the principles of liberty is to really understand what political parties are and what they are not. A political party is not this, this inherently ideological kind of vessel, it's not something that, you know, a political party is just a political vehicle. It's it, what it accomplishes, the the issues that it advances, the policies that it advances really depend on who's in that vehicle and who's driving it. So I would have people all the time throughout out all the years who say, how could you be in the Republican Party when... Liz Cheney or Dick Cheney or these warmongers, neocons are like leading the Republican party. How can you be a part of that party with them? And my answer was simple. Because I don't want them leading this party, and the only way I get them out of this party and take 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 it away from them is if we get involved, we engage, we get involved in our primaries and caucuses, we elect liberty champions to every office we possibly can, and to all of the commit all the positions in the state party infrastructure that we can. And we make it a Liberty party. I mean, at one point, the neocons were the radical fringe, you know, insurgents in the GOP. Uh, and then they came to control it during the Bush administration, and now they seem to be a radical fringe again, on their way out and headed back to the uh, the 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 uh, join rejoin the communists and the Democrat Party where they uh, originally came from, and that's fine by me. Yeah. Uh, I say mission accomplishment, uh, mission accomplished, as Liz Cheney is drummed out of the party. But but that's a result of people, grassroots people, getting involved, leaning in and be in the change in the party that, they, that they'd that they like to see. I have tremendous respect for people who uh, engage in the political process through the Libertarian party. I have many good friends who they think that is the way. And I say, hey, prove me wrong. If, if, if there's something I'm not seeing here and you've got a better strategy than I have, I'd love to be proven wrong. I think that people, I, I commend anyone who's getting off the sofa and doing something. But at the end of the day, we live under a system where the rules have been written by the two major parties, and as much as we might want to change that and change the two the the two party nature of this system, uh, you really don't have an opportunity to do that unless you win elections to be in a position to change the election rules. So uh, I, I just I don't see the Libertarian Party at least at least in any situations where I, I've had the opportunity to to lean to lean in and get involved. I haven't seen the Libertarian Party. As, an, as nearly as an effective vehicle for libertarians to change policy in America as the Republican Party has been.
1: Yeah, I mean, we've got some of the craziest ballot rules for libertarians here in Tennessee, uh, where I think you have to get somewhere, it's somewhere between 25,000 and 50,000 signatures to be able to get on the ballot as a libertarian here, and those rules were put in place by Republicans and Democrats back in the 60s. And there's really no way of changing those rules until some Mm -hmm. Republicans or Democrats get in there and decide that they're going to change those rules. And that's not going to happen if they're not liberty-oriented Republicans that are in there. You're going to have to actually get... Libertarian style Republicans in to actually change these rules. Uh, Was it, is it difficult like that in in Maine, also, by the way? Do you know? I mean, I think for a Republican or Democrat, you have to get 25 or 50 signatures here in Tennessee, and it's literally between 20 and 50,000 for a Libertarian. It's crazy.
0: Yeah, I know that the Libertarians in Maine, uh, the Libertarian Party, anyway, has had, has had a, a, it's always a fight for ballot access. And that puts you at right at a disadvantage right out the gate, right? The other parties aren't aren't dealing with ballot access to the same degree. You've got uh, to going through the LP, you, you've got to put a lot of time and energy to just just those very basics. But but even more significant than that is is just the the way that the voting system is set up, where you know it's this first past the post system, whoever gets the plurality wins, and that creates an incentive structure where. The vast majority of voters aren't voting necessarily for the person they like the most. They're voting against the person they hate the most. And so if you have a choice between three candidates, and one is Hillary Clinton, another is Donald Trump, and another is a third-party libertarian candidate – most people, a lot of libertarians, look at that and say, or even even people who might you know agree with the libertarian candidate more th- more than Donald Trump, they look at that, and say, "Geez, I really don't want Hillary Clinton in there," and so they'll vote for the the person they see as the lesser evil to avoid the greater evil. That's 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 how the rules of the game are set up. So unless we get to a point where we are are really changing that system, whether you have like. I know states like New York have fusion voting, there's interesting things there, there are experiments in like ranked choice voting. Unless you get those kind of those kinds of real changes to voting laws, it's always going to be a system that gives a natural advantage to the two major parties.
1: Well, what's great is at the end of the day, if your principles over party, that really doesn't matter. You could just have people who are philosophical libertarians with an R next to their name. Like, who cares in my opinion?
0: Right. I right, right. Do we do we really do we really think that Ron Paul would have been better if he had an L next to his name instead of his R next to his name? I think he's Ron Paul. And I <laughs> I, I would have supported him even if he had a D next to his name. Uh, you know, if, if he believed everything that he, you know, if he. As long as he believed everything and stood on all the principles that he fought for, the letter next to his name is kind of irrelevant. But but these are the these are the political vehicles that we have to use if we actually want to get elected and in a position to make change. So use the vehicle that is most effective at getting you where you want to go.
1: One issue I see on the Republican side is what are Republicans going to do to get away from this Trump Trumpism thing right now? I mean, do you see this as, is he going to run again? And isn't that kind of a problem? I mean, I see no possible way that he would win again. But they kind of need to distance
0: themselves, in my opinion. <laughs> Who knows? I'm certainly. I can't make predictions. Nobody can make predictions on what exactly Trump's going to do. He's always doing what it is. They say it's 4D chess. You never know. Yeah. <laughs> um. You know, truth be told, I, I I've come to think more and more that while it certainly is nice when we can have strong liberty candidates running for president. And certainly, certainly our movement was built upon that. And, um, you know, I wouldn't be here today if it wasn't for Ron Paul running for president in 2008 and 2012. It is something we always focus on a lot. And maybe Trump does run again, maybe he doesn't. Maybe we have a liberty candidate in the Republican primary for that, maybe not. Ultimately, at the end of the day, I think the most important thing that we can be doing, all the 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 sideshow in Washington D.C. aside, is getting liberty-loving people elected to the state legislatures, because the states are the sleeping giants of our constitutional republic. If the states were uh, legislatures were ever filled with principled people with backbone who understood the principles of nullification that were advocated by Thomas Jefferson and James Madison on how you check the power of unconstitutional federal tyranny then we would we would live in a very different country we would live in a country where the states were would where joe biden wouldn't even think about imposing these unconstitutional vaccine mandates because he knows that the states would never tolerate it the states would say no we're not allowing you to enforce that uh, within our borders uh, and that goes for gun control that goes for obamacare that it goes for so many of the unconstitutional things that our federal government does, if we had principled people in the state legislatures willing to nullify them, then we would have uh, we'd be in a much better system. So I, I'm focused my focusing all my energies, and I know Young Americans for Liberty is very focused uh, with our activist energies on getting people elected to the state legislatures.
1: And that's what really attracted us to Yale in the first place was uh, all the great work. Uh, that that you guys are doing over there and actually getting people elected like these are people who are liberty oriented people actually getting into positions of power and getting things passed in these states that change the lives of people that are in those states. And if anything, the last couple of years, like what you were just saying, should teach us that the state level is very important. I mean, if you've got some liberty people in your state legislatures and uh, that are governors, then it doesn't matter so much what's going on in Washington. You can still live in a in a free state all while the while Washington's burning down, I guess,
0: yeah, absolutely. I mean, and when we think about it, like we're always so focused on these federal elections. We spend millions of dollars trying to get i mean, even far more than that. I'm sure billions of dollars every election cycle on all the federal races for for Congress and u s. Senate, and not to mention the White House. But at the end of the day, what real advancements in liberty have taken place in Washington, D.C.? We're, we're just always sliding backwards. And oftentimes it's not even because of who the elected officials are. So, so many of the policies decided in Washington, D.C. are decided by people we never we never voted for that have no elected authority. They're they're they're. Unfireable lifelong bureaucrats who are deciding where and when we go to war as a country, who gets spied upon, what 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 your children are learning in their schools. This is this is no longer a this is no longer policy making by. Uh, under democratic systems, as much as the left likes to say how much they love democracy, uh, they they certainly have uh, supported devolving power away from people who are democratically elected into those who are unaccountable. This so-called what some people call the the deep state, this uh, this apparatus of federal power that's insulated from from accountability to the public. But on the state level, we've, I mean, geez, during my two terms in the Maine Senate alone, I think of we passed constitutional carry one people's Second Amendment rights back. Uh, this has been catching on across the entire country. 21 states now, including Texas, are now constitutional carry states. One in four Americans lives in one of these states. You have uh, you know, right to try laws that took that took hold across the country, nullifying the FDA, saying that terminally ill patients have the right to try non-FDA approved medications if they're trying to save their own lives, and told the FDA to go pound sand if they don't like it. Uh, that caught on state by state, uh, and it, I mean, I, I geez, the advancements in medical cannabis. I mean, it's still illegal in Washington D.C. under federal law for people to have access to cannabis, to grow cannabis, sell cannabis, use cannabis. And yet state by state, the states have just said, "No. We're not we're not going to play that game anymore. We've been we've been appealing to Washington D.C. to change this policy forever. They don't listen. They never had the constitutional authority in this in the first place." So, from California to Maine and states in between, we are just going to say we're legalizing it. Tough.
1: That's a it's a really good example of states rights and the fact that states can nullify things that are unconstitutional. By the way, are people ever going to realize that uh, we've got a Democrat Senate and House and president and we still have a prohibition on marijuana from the federal government? Like when can we just can can someone please mention the fact that these people are all liars and they're not actually ever going to do anything that they say they're going to do. Like the, they're not even trying. I hope people are paying attention to
0: that. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's, uh, I, I mean, the fact that anyone would have expected Joe Biden to like be the <laughs> one to legalize cannabis and Kamala he's Harris. one of the great architects of the war on drugs or Kamala Harris who has put so many people in behind bars for, for, for cannabis in California. Uh, these are drug warriors and- you know, yeah, this, this this was a pipe dream to think that they that you would have to be smoking something to think that <laughs> Joe Biden and Kamala Harris were going to make it legal for you to smoke that something.
1: There it is. I think we figured out why people are still believing they're going to do it. Um, I'm going to make a just hard, abrupt pivot because I want to get your thoughts on something that maybe you haven't seen anything about. But there's this podcaster named uh, Joe Rogan out there that people are talking a whole lot about right now. And I want to get your thoughts on this whole thing that's going on. The, the first thing is the most recent thing that came out over the weekend. Do you think that it has anything to do with the words that he's used? Or is this just another reason that people want to get rid of him?
0: No, no, th- this is uh, very, very clearly. So as you mentioned, right, Joe Rogan is being canceled now. After the thing they tried to cancel him for last week. They that nobody you know, nobody cared about. Now they're trying to cancel him for a new thing because apparently he has, uh, you know, I guess in several podcast episodes used the uh, the the N word in quotes in context, uh, you know, and which he says, you know, looking back on that, he wouldn't do that again. And you know, like if we want, if that's the standard by which we're going to like start canceling people and condemning people. Well, geez, like I just saw a video of Joe Biden on the floor of the U.S. Senate from several decades ago in a quote using the N-word. I've seen the folks at the Young Turks, the liberal outfit over there. Uh, I saw a compilation video that looks really bad when it's all spliced together of all these folks using the N-word. So, you know, why is this standard seem to be so selectively applied? I think you're absolutely right. It's, it's not about any of the words that Joe Rogan has said, other than the words that have been said in defiance of the establishment narratives of, of that, that are used to control, control politics in this country. The fact that the word, he's used words that counter what CNN tells us. And uh, and MSNBC tells us those are the words they're really concerned about. The fact that Joe Rogan is a free thinker who's intellectually curious and is willing to, is, is, does not constrain himself to what Tom Woods calls the three by five card of allowable public opinion. And the fact that he has a bigger audience nationally than anyone that we might call today by the misnomer of the mainstream media. They're not very mainstream anymore. Joe Rogan is the new mainstream. So, of course, that's what it's about. He's, he's a threat to the ruling narratives and they got to do everything they can to try to get rid of him. But here's the thing. Let's say they have managed to cancel him. Let's say they managed to he let's say Spotify, you know, buckles under pressure and says, "All right, we're canceling our contract with Joe Rogan." What's going to happen? If Joe Rogan's going to go to another platform. All the millions of people who listen to him are going to follow him there. And it's going to continue. Or worse comes worse, let's say they actually did manage to really cancel him. And somehow Joe Rogan did disappear. And we never heard from him again. Are all these millions of people who do not believe the the BS coming out of CNN, are they going to start watching CNN? No, they're going to find a new alternative media source. They're, people are never going back to the false narratives from the, the corporate press. Uh, some people are still living on that plantation, but, but a lot of people are waking up and getting out of the matrix.
1: Do you think places like CNN and people who work in the government, do you think they realize how big of liars and actual purveyors of misinformation they are? Or do you think they actually believe that they're on the right side of this? Because I've seen plenty of misinformation when it comes to COVID from places like CNN and MSNBC. I remember Rachel Maddow telling me that the virus stops with every vaccinated person, and they can't go anywhere else after that. Oh, that yeah. seems like dan- that seems dangerous to me because he literally told people that once they get it, that they can't spread it to anyone. You can't tell me that's not dangerous for people to believe that that's the that that's the truth. Like, do they actually think that they are the purveyors of truth, or do they know that they're just lying all the time?
0: Oh, man, that's a hard question. How do you peer (laughs) into someone's mind and know for certain? I I imagine it's probably a little bit of both. Um, I mean, you know, Benjamin Franklin talked about how the human mind is such a such a powerful thing that we can rationalize anything (laughs) and convince ourselves that we're the good guy. Right. I'm sure I'm sure I'm sure even even Adolf Hitler in his mind had some had twisted, twisted, uh, some twisted narrative that, that convinced himself he was on the right side of history, but we can look back and see the atrocities that were committed there. So no, everyone can rationalize uh, these, these things to themselves. Uh, And, but you gotta, you you gotta, you gotta hope that there's at least some self-awareness over there. I know that they live in these echo chambers, but as they're, as they're like, as they're basically just become a mouthpiece for like these intelligence agencies, as they unquote, like even before the COVID pandemic, right? It was all Russiagate. It was all just whatever the FBI tells us, whatever the CIA tells us, you know, we don't need to see ever see, see any evidence. We just need to know that they've said that, and that's enough to, for us to know that it's true. Even as uh, we've been used by these agencies to lie, you know, America into wars in Iraq on WMD myths and Syria with, uh, with, Ah, uh, false flag, you know gas attack uh, things that were pinned on um, pinned on Assad that UN uh, whistleblowers revealed that didn't add up. There were so many lies over the years. The amazing thing is that anyone still believes what they're being told on these channels when we have they have such a long track record going back decades of being deceitful to the American people on very consequential things. So Joe Rogan never lied us into war. <laughs> and I'll give him that. We have joined in on
1: posting about all the terrible things that the Joe Rogan podcast did. Like, uh, have you seen the tweets going around? Like you know, we tweeted one saying Joe Rogan took us off the gold standard in 1971 or whenever it was and led to greater wealth inequality. And Joe Rogan, you know, lied us into the Vietnam war and all that. It's actually a my, pretty funny trend.
0: My my favorite, there was a guy, I guess he was a comedian. He had a, he put out a video where he was like, um, gonna, he was, Talking in support of all the celebrities who are demanding Joe Rogan be taken off Spotify and be canceled. And his, like, I'm standing in solidarity with Neil Young and all these folks. And we really, you know, we just have to recognize we are two years into this pandemic, and Joe Rogan has still yet to address and apologize for the role that he played in funding gain of function research at the (laughs) Wuhan lab. When are you going to? Apologize and, and take responsibility, Joe Rogan. And of course the point is like, is this what really what we're upset about? When we have our some of our, I mean, literally the highest paid government official in America has lied to us repeatedly about his involvement in research that took place at US taxpayer expense that may have actually created this virus and leaked from this lab and 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 caused all this mayhem and we we aren't even really allowed to have an honest conversation about that i mean increasingly people are more and more free to talk about these things and ask questions rand paul has been doing a great job of holding his feet to the fire but but really like left-wing america this is what we're upset about we're upset about like this mma guy comedian having conversations with people on a podcast like there's 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 real problems in america and if this is what you're focused on you're getting to Far too distracted.
1: I think one of the issue is, issues is that people, I'll just generalize and say people on the left, They uh, they take a lot of their thoughts from authority figures. Like they say, this is the way that you should think about something or this is the truth. And then that's the way that they go out and act in the world. It's like they're taking orders and they're they're way better at taking orders than other people are. And then they they apply that thought to people who listen to Joe Rogan. And so people who are listening to what Rogan is saying or what people on his podcast are saying, well, they must be just like me. When they hear someone say jump, they say how high. Or when they hear someone say facts, they take it as the the word of truth that's been etched in stone and actually people that are more on the right or just free thinking individuals they just listen to what people say and then they consider it and they they enjoy hearing other people's opinions and maybe they'll do their own research you know yeah. that's one of the the most terrible things that could ever happen is people doing their own research and and then they try and make their own decisions afterwards and i, I think one thing that's wrong here is people are applying what what they do people on the left do which is i take my orders from whoever's in authority and then they think that's the same thing that people on the right must do also
0: yeah i i don't know if it's as simple as kind of left versus right because i certainly remember i mean i like we were talking about it before i certainly Mm -hmm. remember getting my talking points from fox news on the war in iraq Mm -hmm. when i was a kid and just like You know, parodying it. I and I and I remember when I had my kind of like moment of like epiphany and realization that like the 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 Republican corporate press and the Republican establishment in Washington, DC was in many ways just as bad as as the Democrats. I realized that there is something that I think we as human beings can tend to do, which is, you know, we outsource a lot of things to other people to do certain work for us that we don't have time to do. We and a lot of cases that makes sense. I don't know how to, you know, I don't know how to fix my own, you know, plumbing, so I'm going to outsource that to a plumber who knows how to do that. But we have it, but it's dangerous when we start to outsource our political thinking to other people. It's dangerous when we start to think I don't need to really understand these issues inside and out. I can just identify someone that I trust who will tell me what to think. And I certainly think that that's been effectively how cable news on the left and the right has has um, really functioned for 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 much of the last few decades and i think that's a part of how we've gotten into so much trouble as a country but what is truly radical about joe the, joe rogan and his long form podcast style is it's not this like programmable sound bites telling you what to think it's a long form nuanced conversation between generally intellectually curious and genuinely a good faith people just having a conversation and and thinking through these things. Sometimes people say things that are wrong. Mm -hmm. And one of the great things about Rogan is he'll be the first to admit it and own it and say, he doesn't have any ego like invested in these ideas. I think that's one of the problems in our country today is you point out where someone is getting something wrong and we can, our egos get in the way. We feel like we are under attack because rather than that, our political identity is under attack rather than just thinking, huh, That actually, I want my ideas to be challenged and tested because I don't want to be wrong.
1: Yeah, one thing we've noted, we just talked about this in an episode last week, but uh, the people pushing, say, the vaccine mandates. Well, you could make a way better argument for them. There still wasn't an argument for them, but you could make a way better one back when everyone thought that they stopped the spread and they stopped you from getting infected. Then then you could at least entertain this argument and talk about the greater good and and all of that and keeping people safe. Well, now we've got plenty of data, and I guess I won't put this episode on YouTube, but we've got plenty of data showing that uh, they're really not stopping the infections or the spread. And, And Instead, from the people who want the mandates and the people who act like uh, that the vaccinated aren't putting anyone in danger ever, it's only the unvaccinated, they're really doubling and tripling and quadrupling down on all of their narratives instead of just saying, "Okay, well, the data is different now. We've we've got some new data on this, especially with Omicron. We're going to back off on this because it doesn't make as much sense as it used to. Maybe when Pfizer gets us the Omicron variant vaccine, then we'll be back to this conversation. But right now, this just doesn't really make any sense. No one can admit that they're wrong. They're just doubling down on the whole argument because then, uh, I don't know, maybe that's for people who want to be seen as an authority. If you ever admit that you're wrong, then who's ever going to trust your authority ever again? Uh, I I think that's a pretty big issue. That's one thing, and I don't know where you're at on all the vaccine mandate stuff. I assume that you're probably right there where I am, that this is not something yeah. that we need to be doing whatsoever.
0: Yeah, yeah. You know, I'm I, I I'm against vaccine mandates as a, as a rule. Uh, you know, when I served as the Senate chairman for the Health and Human Services Committee in Maine, and they were pushing vaccine mandates like removing religious and philosophical exemptions for traditional vaccines in schools, I was opposed to that even though I, I generally think that vaccines are a, a amazing you know, innovation and have saved a lot of lives. I just don't think that government should be able to inject something into your body that has risks associated with it without your informed consent. Uh, I just think that's a basic principle of liberty. And if you have to use force, you're doing something wrong. So, but, but I could at least understand the logic behind mandates with traditional vaccines. The traditional vaccines like like measles, mumps and rubella that supposedly uh, increase herd immunity and actually do reduce infection and transmission. Uh, and so there's an argument to be made with traditional vaccines. You need like at least X percentage of the population to be vaccinated to have this herd immunity. And I can understand that argument even if I reject it on the grounds that it's tyrannical. but these vaccine mandates with these new mRNA vaccines for COVID, not only is it tyrannical, it makes absolutely no sense because we have so many studies now that show the benefit conferred is a personal benefit. It is to the individual who is themselves themselves less likely to get a severe case of COVID, at least according to studies that I've seen, which have shown at least with earlier variants that it was upwards of like 90% effective. And that's that's truly great. But those same studies showed that after about six weeks, someone who was vaccinated was just as likely to get infected and spread and transmit the virus to others as someone who is unvaccinated without natural immunity. So, so the whole argument for mandating this, overriding people's personal decision-making. The only way you could make that case on, on, on grounds of liberty is to say, you know, there, the negative externalities of not getting vaccinated are so bad to others that we have to mandate it. But there are no, there are no negative externalities. It's personal health, not public health. I so, think the government needs to back off.
1: I think that's why people have tried so hard on the overwhelmed hospitals narrative. Because if they are overwhelmed and they can't take care of people, you know, there's right. people in Oklahoma, gunshot uh, victims that can't get in. Right. So,
0: of course, the hospitals are overwhelmed in many cases, not because of a shortage of beds, but because of a shortage of staff. Because we fired healthcare workers with natural immunity who didn't find it that it made any sense. To get this vaccine which which conferred no benefit to them once they had natural immunity
1: i didn't realize you were such a conspiracy theorist i didn't realize this is what we were going to be getting here man that's crazy yeah <laughs> that
0: is uh very- right, we're dealing with we're, we're dealing with right now in my state like pe- waiting lines to get into the hospitals and it's not a shortage of beds it's a shortage of staff you can ask anyone <laughs> and it's it's because our governor and the president Uh, put these inane mandates in place.
1: We always compare it to, uh, you know, you go into a restaurant and they're like, oh, it's going to be a half an hour wait. You're like, why? There's 100 tables open in there. Well, we've only got three servers and we only allow them to take three tables per person. So we can only seat nine tables right now. And so that's why even though there's uh, only nine tables taken up and we have 100 in there, you're going to have to wait for an hour to be able to get in because uh, that's those are the only people that we can serve right now. And we've got those same kind of rules. People think that when we're at capacity, that means that there's literally overflowing with people. There's no places to put them. It's actually just a lack of staffed beds or licensed beds in other scenarios. I don't know if you guys have the uh, certificate of need laws up there and up there in Maine. Oh, yeah. Um,
0: We've, uh, we've oh yeah we've, i have i fought it but uh but democrats actually we we got every single republican legislator support repealing it but then but, but democrats um keep these anti-competitive practices in place that drive up the price of healthcare man um so, we wonder why healthcare is more expensive every single year in america
1: <laughs> yeah uh it's you know um i'm sure it's just because we have unfettered free market capitalism in the healthcare industry that's why Everything's so
0: expensive. Yeah. We just and of course, you know, the unfettered free market capitalism is why cell phones are so expensive and they just keep getting less and less reliable and more and more expensive. I mean, geez, you know, it's uh you know, more capitalism.
1: There's a reason this laptop right here cost me a hundred thousand dollars, you know. That's uh it's ridiculous <laughs> that, that free market capitalism. Um uh, one other thing while we were talking a little bit about censorship earlier. There's been a lot of people calling for we need more voices on the left to be able to go on places like Rogan. I was going to ask if you had any experience actually getting people on the left, and I'm just using super general terms, but people on the left say to come on your show or to go on other shows that you listen yeah. to. Do you feel like it's less likely to get someone with those viewpoints to go talk to someone they disagree with? I don't
0: know. Well, on my show, I think my show, because my audience is very particularly focused on conversations across the liberty movement. By the way, that show is Free America Now and people can find it on all major podcasting apps. Um, But I'm mostly talking with people across the liberty movement, thinkers, activists, policymakers. And so the conversations we're all having are kind of on various topics from a liberty perspective. Uh, But that said, outside of my show, I I always enjoy, if I ever had a a different podcast with a different (laughs) focus, uh, I enjoy talking with people uh, on the left, I enjoy engaging in ideas with people who I disagree with. In fact, in the when I worked in the main legislature uh, in the main Senate, like, I was only able to get significant things done like constitutional carry and welfare reform and medical cannabis, privacy, you know, privacy rights laws, all, all, all sorts of things done because I was able to engage with the left, find common ground. And say, hey, we disagree on ninety percent of things, but and maybe we have different intellectual premises. But I find that the honest progressives, um, you could you could find common ground on things like, you know, drug policy or or civil liberties. Um, I, I, I think that those. I personally think that that kind of dialogue uh, across, you know, it's easy to stay in your own like sphere and your own like safe zone. But I think that, di- that dialogue across ideological groups is fascinating to me. I think we need a lot more of it. I, I loved when Sanjay Gupta was on Joe Rogan. I think we need a lot more of that. I mean, particularly in that format where you have long form conversation. I mean, obviously we get this whole idea that on cable news, you're listening to these soundbite debates, you know, where people got 15 seconds to make a point and chat at each other and say why the Democrats are bad or the Republicans are bad. This is somehow like, this is somehow bipartisan dialogue. It's like, no, that's just, that's just people talking in soundbites. Um, People love Rogan show because there's dialogue, because there's actual conversation, there's nuance, there's exploration, there's curiosity that doesn't exist in in these uh, in the cable news format.
1: So it sounds like you're more than willing to work with people, uh, no matter what their political ideology is. I think that that's a yeah. R- I'll really- work with anyone to do right, and no one to do wrong, and. What I'm wondering, because when I get on Twitter and social media and all that, let me tell you what, I have a hard time staying positive about what's going on right now. Um, what I'm wondering is, are you able to find hope and think that we're actually going to be able to share this place with people we disagree with? Like, is that an actual possibility
0: or are we just lying to ourselves here? <laughs> well, Twitter is a Twitter is like a toxic cesspool. So I wouldn't I wouldn't extrapolate Twitter to real life. Um you know, I do think sometimes about how in the grand scheme of things, like how primitive we are as human beings on the internet. I mean, over hundreds of thousands of years, like we've learned how to communicate, not like be brutal and violent to each other as human beings in real life. But like, we're still in like the first generation of like people figuring out how to deal with each other, you know, in the, in the, in these digital spaces. I have to think that eventually, like we're going to get more sophisticated and like, um, we're gonna, we're gonna be, we're, we're, we're gonna figure out how not to be dicks to each other online. <laughs> uh, but Twitter certainly brings out the worst in people. Uh, the best thing I've found to do is adopt the Michael Malice approach to the block button. And just like, you know, if someone's like in, coming here in bad faith, just spewing garbage, like, what does it do for me? What does it do for anyone to like give that person access to, to, to my space? No, just, just block them. And don't don't think twice about it. I I, I, I feel like I have blocked so many people, uh, just uh, and my life is better for it. So uh, just block people who are bad faith actors and don't deal with them. Don't don't give them your time and energy.
1: I need to go out there and get a few more haters because I haven't had the block near as many people. Uh, but um, on that whole idea, <laughs> I run it for office.
0: You'll you'll that's true. Yeah, <laughs> you'll get a lot of
1: haters quick. That's true. I would not I would not be able to do that at all. Plus, they'd be able to dig up all types of uh, stuff I've said in previous podcast episodes, I guess, that's just going to make it to where uh, neither Charlie or I could run for office, more than likely. Nothing like what Rogan said, by the way. Just get that out there in the open. You're not going to find it. You can look for it, but you won't find it. Um, speaking of us being able to uh, coexist together, I think the founders had a pretty good idea, which was the fact that we were supposed to be yeah, you know, I've always said what well, you know. Maybe we should just break up the United States into like fifty separate pieces. You know, I could say fifty, something like that, and then we'll come together maybe for defense, something like that, to defend all those fifty separate pieces. Yeah. You know, but other than that, I think we should just be run like fifty separate small countries. I mean, what do you think? I just that's just off the top of my head. It's a pretty crazy idea, right?
0: You know, I always think about it. Je- Jefferson said that uh, we should be. To the world as one, but to each other as many. Uh, You know, that Washington, D.C., our federal government was supposed to be concerned with foreign policy. It's supposed to be about us being able to respond together in terms of our dealings with the outside world. But the idea that Washington, D.C. would be trying to control our internal affairs in our own states, I mean, I totally, I totally support like setting certain like ground rules. Like, hey, if you're going to be a part of this union, you need to, like, you know, recognize everyone as a human being (laughs) and, like, not enslave people or deny people basic civil liberties. Like, hey, I'm like, I think our union is better with ground rules like those. But what doesn't follow is going from there to saying, then that means we're going to have one size fits all government controlled health care and education policy and and you can't. uh, You can't build a shed in your backyard with getting getting approval from a federal government agency that has to make sure that you you, your backyard is not a wetland. Like (laughs) this is this is this is the the lengths to which that Washington, D.C. exercises control over our day to day lives and our internal affairs in our own states is beyond anything the founders ever, ever envisioned. Uh, and, you know, it, it, people should be concerned more and more Americans on the right and the left are talking about national divorce are talking about breaking up the country. And I uh, I think that would be uh, I, I certainly would prefer not to see that happen. I'd certainly prefer, you know, the position that I guess is a moderate position by comparison, which is nullification and restoring the 10th Amendment and just letting Maine be Maine and California be California, Texas be Texas and and uh, Tennessee be Tennessee like why why should the the cannabis laws in Alabama be the cannabis laws in California why should the uh, you know why should the abortion laws in Texas be the abortion laws in New York i mean w- people will not abide by that we we will not be able to live with each other we will eventually literally be at war with each other if we continue to try to push you know this one size these one size fits all regimes On all the hundreds of millions of people that live in this country, we are very culturally different from each other. We have this shared American identity, but that only goes so far. There are many regionalisms and localisms that we just, you know, everything that works in California isn't going to work everywhere else. In fact, truth be told, the California policies don't even seem to work very well for California.
1: (laughs) (laughs) But if we did them on a bigger scale, they would work better. Right. You know, they can't get universal (laughs) health care in California because it's not possible. But if we did it on a whole national scale, then it would work just perfectly fine. That's what we're missing. You know, they
0: tried that. They tried they tried single payer health care in Vermont. And uh, you know why they didn't uh, follow through with it? No. They couldn't afford it. (laughs) Weird. (laughs) Even in socialist Vermont, they're like, oh, the single payer thing's too expensive. I guess uh, let's just push it up to the federal level where they've got the printing press and they can just issue debt uh, and, and, and take out loans in the names of our children. That seems like a good idea.
1: All right, man. Well, listen, uh, It was a much more positive note when we were talking about how we were all going to come together. Now we're talking about universal health care. That's uh, put me in a bad mood again. So kidding. Okay, we're going to have to, we're going to have to get out of here though. I want you to tell everyone, tell everyone about that podcast again real quick, because I've been listening to right. it and it's great stuff.
0: Awesome. Well, I really appreciate it. Thank you for being a listener. Um, And the podcast is free America. Now Uh, we put out a new episode every Monday through Friday, five days a week. And it's me. I'm interviewing thinkers, activists, uh, policymakers. I just had on mayor Glenn Jacobs of Tennessee, right there, Knox, Knox County mayor on and he's also WWE superstar. uh, Kane just had him on. Tom Woods has been on so many great thinkers Uh, activists, and policymakers across the liberty movement. You can find it uh, just free America Now on all major podcasting apps. And I uh, certainly invite people to come and check it out.
1: All right, Senator Brakey, thank you so much for your time today. You are welcome back on anytime. Thank you very much.